Welcome to another edition of the Black Agenda Podcast. I'm your co-host, Devin Dito, along with my co-host, Adrian Guest, and we are back at it again for weekly roundup number five. We've got plenty of news to get to. Um, Last show was a great one. This one is just as jam-packed. So we're going to be, again, doing our kind of popcorn topics, you know, bouncing all over different stories in different areas. Um, We're testing out a new format. So again, let us know how you like it. We would, we absolutely would love some feedback um, to see how this is working for you. So uh, let's get right into it. So our very first story here, we're going to start kind of in the HBCU world uh, with uh, Malcolm Gladwell. So he's been examining why, HBU, why HBCU score so low in U.S. News and World Report's college rankings. And so just to give you a little bit of background, since about 1985, U.S. News and World Report has been producing a list. I'm pretty sure we've all at least looked at one at some point. They produce a list of the top colleges and universities around the nation, and it influences a lot of people on their decision for where they choose to go to school for higher, for higher education. And so journalist and Arthur Malcolm Gladwell has, has kind of delved into this, and he's trying to break apart, figure out what their top secret ranking formula is by way of a podcast series, and it's called Revisionist History. And so in a two-part special, Gladwell actually shared how he and a team of researchers were able to crack this algorithm that ranks the schools across four categories. And as it stands, the ranking system almost seems as if it was arbitrary and even more so when one actually looked at the rankings of HBCUs. And so in the report's top 10 HBCUs, Spelman College is at the top. But it's ranked it's ranked at 54 in the National Liberal Arts College ranks. And so this is here. This is a quote from Gladwell. He says, U.S. News and World Report rankings seem to want to say that depending on the number of students that graduate from the school, the better that school must be. He, and he's speaking to uh, blind trust parents and potential students who are uh, place, placing in the ranking guide. And so Gladwell's deep dive into this this ranking system by U.S. News and World Report uh, colleges and universities ranking system is definitely worth a listen, especially for black families or students who are ready, who are looking, you know, kind of exploring where they're going to go for their next, uh, you know, for higher education. And so, Adrian, this was an interesting story here because we kind of touched on how HBCUs are ranked uh, when it comes to the the top colleges in the country, particularly when you're talking about U.S. News and World Report, I do remember we talked with uh, the 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 provost, I believe, from Howard University, Dr. Ruto, actually talked about what goes into those rankings and how it's not necessarily fair to HBCU. So it's funny that Michael, Malcolm Gladwell is actually going in and digging into how they come up with these rankings and how it is actually. Uh, you know, sort of biased against, you know, HBCUs. Absolutely. Um, when you see the the fact that they're looking at graduation rates and the number of students, that, that automatically uh, dings HBCUs because they don't have a, a huge student body. You know, Devin, most of them by choice have, you know, less than 10,000 students. I mean, it's, it's a, you, you can't compare it to a Mississippi State where they have an incoming freshman class of twenty to 30,000 folks. Um, so definitely isn't a, a really good way to look at it if you're looking at solely um, graduation rates. 
And then another thing, Devin, we, we really revealed a lot during our HBCU series because we talked about the fact that a lot of these HBCUs have high-ranking engineering programs, high-ranking veterinary medicine programs, but yet these accolades that they have aren't recognized by U.S. News and World Report um, because they're not, you see from Spellman, Spellman's ranked number one as an HBCU, but when you compare it to PWIs, it's number 54 on the list. And it's just like, that's so odd that it's so high and so great of an institution. But yet when you try to stack it up against other you know, National Liberal Arts College, it's not ranked the same. So, um, yeah, it's it's so interesting whenever you whenever we get to this. But yet again, it's just a way that America seems to put down you know minorities. Um, it's uh, they don't want to fully recognize what we're doing. It's like they want to almost uh, uh, you know say that black excellence isn't a, a thing. You know. So I, I, I'm glad that uh, Gladwell is doing this, Devin, uh, and I hope that he and his team of researchers can uh, continue to podcast about it and have some more um, for us to know. So, uh, listeners, we'll make sure to keep you in the loop because um, Devin and I, we did a whole HBCU series where we tried to promote HBCU, so please don't discount them based off of the rankings. Um, on to some other news. Uh, this is a it, so if you're a weed fan, which some of us are, I'm you know, I'm from California, so I've become more of a not from California, but living there, um, become more of a, of a pro weed person. But if you do like weed, here's some news for you. Uh, Senate Democrats have introduced a bill to end federal prohibition of marijuana. The legislation will remove marijuana from the federal list of controlled substances and expunge federal nonviolent marijuana-related crimes. For the first time in history, Senate Democrats introduced a bill to decriminalize it at the federal level and remove cannabis from the federal list of controlled substances. Laws, um, you know, honestly, Devin, this is something that we really need to get to on a federal level because there's more and more states that have already done this, more and more states that have already made uh, marijuana recreationally and medicinally legal. And when it comes to expunging the records of nonviolent people, um, that just makes sense. It says, you know, laws have led to more than 1.5 arrests in 2019 alone, 32% of which were nonviolent lower-level marijuana possession offenses. And, and you, we shouldn't have our police dealing with that kind of stuff when there's nonviolence in it. The unfortunate part of this, Devin, is that Chuck Schumer, uh, 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 Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, he's in favor of the bill, uh, supports you know, legalization of marijuana. But unfortunately, President uh, Joe Biden opposes federal legalization of marijuana, which is so surprising, Devin, uh, because he you know, seems like a, such a liberal person, but he is uh, not getting on the, uh, the picture. And I'm getting on board with this here. But, uh, Devin, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens here. We'll kind of see if, if it's going to you know, alleviate some of the woes of the cannabis businesses because a lot of them are kind of under scrutiny uh, with banking, have to deal a lot with cash because they can't get loans because it's not federally legal. But hopefully uh, Senate Democrats will have some success with this, Devin. Yeah, I hope so as well. You know, it's it's going to go to the Senate where good legislation typically dies. So, you know, they do have to get that 60 vote threshold. And that is why one of the reasons why people are pushing for the filibuster um, to be, you know, removed and and abolished. But that's a very long way down the road. But we'll see. Hopefully there is some movement. Um, at least maybe they could come to some kind of um, agreement or some kind of compromise with Republicans. But um, on to our next story. So 
we're going to go back to January 6th. Uh, we did. We can't forget what happened that day. And really, we're still getting, you know, more information of just how close, you know, we really were to say, seeing something really serious happen. It was a serious event anyway. But um, recent this week, we got some news that there's a book coming out. And in this book, it actually detailed how Vice President, then Vice President Mike Pence, actually refused to get in a car during the January 6th riots. Um, and so former Vice uh Former Vice President Mike Pence refused to get in a vehicle with Secret Service agents during the January 6th riots out of fear that there was a conspiracy to vindicate the insurrection. And so the claims came in an extract of Washington Post journalist uh, Carol Le- Leoning, or Leonig and Philip Rucker's new book called I Alone Can Fix It, Donald J. Trump's catastrophic final year. And they released that book this week. And so according to the journalist, then Vice President Mike Pence refused to evacuate the Capitol a number of times on January 6th as the rioters were coming into the building. And then at the time, Tim uh, Giebel's, uh, the lead special agent in charge of the former vice president's protective detail, asked uh, Mike Pence twice to evacuate the Capitol. And Mike Pence refused. And then adding on to this, there was a story that came from, this is according to Raw Story, MSNBC host Nicole Wallace said that sources told her they have knowledge of the day. They said that Mr. Pence, quote, feared a conspiracy, feared that the Secret Service would aid Trump and his ultimate aims that day. So Mr. Trump and his supporters, if as you remember, were angry at the vice president for refusing to block the electoral certification for the 2020 election, which we have said this 20 times, Vice, uh, Vice, Vice President Mike Pence did not have the power to block the electoral certifi- uh, certification, yet he has been the scapegoat for Donald Trump's posse, who, who keeps trying to push the message that the election was stolen. Um, even though, Adrian, we have seen time and time again, audit and audit again, there is no widespread voter fraud that cheated him out of the election. But it is interesting to see that uh, Mike Pence, you know, was, as you can he was very afraid that day of, of kind of giving in and, and you know, um, vindicating the insurrection by leaving the Capitol. <laughs> you know, it's, I, I'm, I, I don't, I don't know what to even think about Mike Pence at this point, uh, Devin, you know, you, you would have, you would have any rational person would have thought after the way Donald Trump treated him that he would, you know, completely cut ties. And it's so interesting that he thought that, you know, the secret service was going to, you know, do whatever Donald Trump wanted to kind of aid in the conspiracy. Um, it just really shows just how, just, just how messy this, this swamp that, you know, Donald Trump was supposed to drain really was where, you know, the vice president didn't even trust his own secret service protection, um, you know, it's just, yep. it's just, it's just so interesting. And I mean, it's, and, 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 and you, you have things like this come out now and I'm just like, I just wonder like why, why Mike Pence isn't just coming out and being more forthcoming about what was actually happening and what was going down. Because I'm just like, at this point, um, you thought people were coming into the Capitol to hang you. You even thought the secret service would help them and hang you. Right. So like, you know, what, what ties do you really have to this guy? Like, you know, tell the truth. I mean, Mike Pence should be on Capitol Hill testifying right now 
uh, as we speak, uh, the, 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 the try to help with investigations toward Donald Trump. So um, really interesting Absolutely news there, sure. Devin. <laughs> um, who knows what will happen out of this? But um, on to another little thing. Um, we've got some lawsuits in response to unemployment benefits being canceled. You know, it's so interesting, Dev. I think a lot of people got used to those payments. You know, um, so <laughs> these governors who've been opting out and canceling uh, uh, unemployment benefits like that, they they may not get reelected uh, next go around. But uh, this was out of Florida, where uh, Florida workers plan to file a lawsuit against Governor Ron DeSantis early next week, arguing that the state has a statutory obligation to play to pay unemployed workers the additional $300 in weekly benefits funded by the federal government. Workers in Indiana, Ohio, Oklahoma, Maryland, and Texas have also filed similar lawsuits with two of the states restating their benefits, at least temporarily. Unemployed workers in Oklahoma filed a lawsuit this week against their governor uh, because their governor opted out of the federal program, saying he doesn't have the authority to cancel the program's 26 states cut off the extra 300 in weekly benefits early, while 22 of them also canceled the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program for workers who don't normally qualify for regular unemployment insurance and the Pandemic Emergency Unemployment Compensation Program that provided the extra weekly benefits. So, Devin, um, you know, I had a I had a conversation um, uh, with my roommate, you know, our fraternity brother, Justin, about this. And, and I said it's very interesting because on one side, I do see, you know, where some people can say these extra benefits have clearly made people resign, clearly made people stay at home. But I also see the other side to where it's now giving people the opportunity to maybe choose better employment. Maybe they're able to have more income to save. Uh, maybe they're able to even use some of that income to invest or start a business. So I definitely see both sides of the coin here. I think the governor's response to cut the unemployment benefits is the wrong uh, policy move. I think the, the the correct policy move is, you know, if you're wanting to uh, do something, you know, help out with job training programs, uh, help out with rental uh, levy so that people have lower rental payments, um, utility levy. So so that way, you know, instead of you, you know, complaining about this, you know, benefit, you can say, hey, I'm going to provide other benefits so you don't need an additional $300. I'm going to be able to offset your utilities by a hundred bucks, your rent by a hundred bucks, uh, gas prices. I'm going to cut those down. That's going to, that's going to give you $300 worth of saving. So I think that that's the way the government, if you are going to say, I don't want to have unemployment benefits, you should just have solutions to it. You know, Devin, that's how I feel. No, I mean, I'm, I'm in agreement. Looks. Yes. I know. Do I know people who, Stayed at home and, and collected the extra unemployment. Yeah. But I think that's a small minority. I think people just, you know, may have burned through savings last year and are not necessarily ready to go back to making minimum wage. You know, they got stimulus checks and things like that. But um, I think just cutting them off prematurely and saying, you know, you have to go back to work. We're not going to give you any th- extra $300. I think, like you say, was the wrong uh, wrong, wrong response, wrong idea, um, because people are unemployed. A lot of folks are unemployed because of no fault of their own. They didn't do anything. Just the pandemic came. Um, so 
I just, you know, boneheaded move, but it's nice to see that, hey, the workers, you know, fighting back, trying to get them reinstated. But we'll definitely keep you um, updated as far as how that story goes. And then so our next story here uh, to end out our segment is you may have noticed if you don't, if you have children, you're probably wondering what's going on with the child tax payments, uh, child tax credit payments that are going. They just started. Um, on Thursday, July 15th, the IRS sent out uh, payments to 35 million families for with a total of $15 billion going to parents whose families are eligible uh, for this payment. Uh, President Joe Biden has called it an, uh, an historical day, you know, that these payments are going out. Um, the first thing, you know, just to, just to let you know how this is all working, uh, if you're thinking you may get these child tax payments, let's understand how it works. Um, you won't get your payments all at once in 2021. They're going to be spread out over the next six months. Unless you tell the IRS you want to unenroll from these monthly payments, you're going to get six checks in 2021 and one in 2022. The second thing to keep in mind is that the half of your total credit is going to come this year. That's going to be paid out monthly. The other half of the child tax credit is going to be paying in the lump sum on your taxes that you file in 2022. And just to round it out here, for each qualifying child age five and younger, you can get up to $800, uh, $1,800. Half of that is going to be paid in the $300 monthly payments. Or that that $1,800 is going to be paid in the 300 monthly payments. For if you have children between six and 17, that amount is going to be $1,500, which is comes out to about $250 per month, six times this year. So um, child tax credit payments are going out. So a lot of money going directly to families, which is what we have been wanting and asking for. So in a way, it's kind of like a a fourth stimulus check for a lot of families. And it's going to do a lot of good, particularly in the black community. We know this money is desperately needed. So uh, good to see that happening. This is a one-time deal, so we hope that Congress can actually pass something to make these sort of monthly payments and the expanded child tax credit actually permanent where this continues to happen um, every year. So we'll keep you updated with that. So that's going to do it for our very first segment. Some good news there, kind of bouncing all over the place a little bit, but some interesting news. And so we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll we'll talk a little bit about COVID. Of course, COVID is still in the news. And then we'll talk about uh, some some court rulings that happened um, just yesterday. So stick with us and we'll be right back. Thank you for listening to the Black Agenda podcast. We appreciate your support and we ask that you like, share and follow us on social media. You can find us on Facebook, IG and Twitter at Black Agenda Pod. That's at Black Agenda Pod. Let's get back to the show. All right, listeners, welcome back. Let's get into it here with our second segment. Uh, our first story we wanted to talk to was um, some accusations from our president, uh, Joe Biden, uh, basically saying that Facebook is killing people by allowing what he deems is misinformation on the coronavirus vaccine to be shared on Facebook. Uh, president Biden responded, they're killing people. The only pandemic we have is among the unvaccinated and they're killing people is what he said. Um, the House uh, House Press Secretary uh, Jen Pulaski, she actually took some criticism 
on what the Biden administration said in their communication with Facebook to limit misinformation. Facebook also responded basically saying that they're not going to be distracted by these accusations that aren't supported by any facts. Um, they're actually saying that there's a lot of people who are using Facebook to read about the vaccines and that more than 3.3 million Americans have used a vaccine finder tool to actually get vaccinated. So Facebook says the facts speak for themselves, basically. So, David, I don't know what you think, but um, it seems like Facebook might be actually doing something good for a change because, I mean, at least they've got some numbers to support um, that they're doing something versus what Biden says they're killing people. Maybe they do need to take a better stance about um, some of the propaganda about why not to get vaccinated. But uh, I think they're doing all they can, um, but people just are choosing to not get vaccinated. No, I, th- I think that's I think that's right. I think it's a little bit of both. There is some misinformation for sure, and this is not a new this is not a new problem for Facebook to be struggling with misinformation. So I, I get it. It's not a literal they're killing people, but um, they do have a point in that people are actually going on the platform and finding information about the vaccine. So it's kind of a twofold problem. It's not as clear and cut as the president tried to make it, but again. If you haven't gotten vaccinated, please really consider doing so. We're, we're kind of hitting the surge right now. So, um, so yeah, we'll keep you updated on that story. Now we're going to go to Fairfax County, Virginia, and we're still talking about critical race theory here. But um, a leader of the NAACP was, uh, was seen outside a middle school in Fairfax County, Virginia on Thursday denouncing individuals. She said were, quote, anti-equity and even stating, let them die. So what happened here is that while speaking outside of a middle school event where anti-critical race theory demonstrators were, NAACP Vice President Michelle Leet said, quote, let's deny this off-key band of people that are anti-education, anti-teacher, anti-equity, anti-history, anti-racial, uh, anti-opportunities, anti-help people, anti-diversity, anti-science, anti-change agent, anti-social justice, anti-healthcare, anti-worker, anti-LGBTQ, anti-children, anti-healthcare, anti-worker, anti-environment, anti-admissions policy change, anti-inclusion, anti-live and let live, let them die. She ended it with saying, let them die. And so After that statement, neither the Fairfax NAACP nor the county's PTA immediately responded to Fox News' request for comment. Uh, The Virginia PTA tweeted a statement expressing concern about a disturbing choice of words um, used by the board member. So I don't know if I've ever said the word anti that many times in a row, but but she did end it with let them die. So definitely some frustration there. Yeah, this lady was very frustrated. I would definitely say um, I, I I like her passion, uh, but definitely disturbing choice of words to, to say the to say the, to say the least. I would yeah. say uh, you know, back it down a little bit, uh, Madam Vice President. You know, <laughs> um, but hey, speaking of Madam Vice President, um, this is actually going to get to some story about our actual Madam Vice President Kamala Harris, but. So it looks like there were uh, the, the chair of the Correctional Black Caucus 
and eight other people were arrested during a demonstration at the U.S. Capitol. Uh, and they were actually supporting voter rights, Devin, of all the different things. Uh, U.S. Representative Joyce Beatty said that she stood in solidarity with black women and allies across the country in defense of our constitutional right to vote. It's crazy that people got to go to jail like we're back in the 50s, 60s, uh, you know, going through this all over again. The Congresswoman joined a group urging Congress to support the passage of sweeping federal voting rights legislation after Republican lawmakers across the U.S. has filed dozens of bills to undermine the right to vote. Part of it is a really a coordinated effort to uh, really, I guess, put some sort of barriers against voting after the results of the 2020 election. Seems like, uh, Devin, the timing of these things is, is very, uh, very suspect, as some would say that, you know, you know, you, you have these Democratic results from 2020 and then all these GOP dominated legislators start passing these laws, you know, stripping powers from their secretary of state, yeah. um, trying, uh, trying to just really just make it harder for people to vote where voting should be easy. Uh, this demonstration actually follows the arrival uh, of a group of your uh, your Texas Democrats, Devin. Yeah, uh, actually, yeah, that's right. <laughs> We're going to talk about that a little bit later, but uh, looks like they left and they're actually you know went to D.C. to try to really help uh, this effort to get Republican legislatures, uh, rather lawmakers, on their side. Um, GOP lawmakers in at least 48 states, Devin, have passed nearly 400 bills in the past year to undermine the right to vote. Um, that, that's a lot. I mean, it's, like I said, you know, people can say it's not in a response to more Democrats being elected or it's not a response to, uh, president or former president Donald Trump losing the election. It just, I mean, what, what, it's just like everybody was saying, what are you fixing? If, if you, if there was, if, if this election was the, the most secure election ever in U.S. history, why do, why do we need more laws? Who you ask. <laughs> Depending on who you ask, you might get a different answer as far as it being the most secure election in history. No, I mean, it's, it's what happens. You lose the game and now they want to change the rules of how the game is played. Now, I mean, that's as simple as you can make it as far as what's happening with Republicans uh, and following Donald Trump down this rabbit hole of election fraud. You know, we've seen it Kate, time and time again. There was no widespread voter fraud for the last time. <laughs> but um, we'll continue saying that. We'll continue updating that. But our next story here uh, was some breaking well, news. Well, hey, there's, I will say, Devin, that- I didn't mean Not- to cut you off, but there was, you know, a lot of fraud with the Republicans. Because remember, we we talked about that with even in my former state of California, where Republicans were putting up illegal drop boxes. Yeah, I mean, that's true. There was, a, there was a lot on the Republican side where they were doing more fraudulent activities, but they were trying to say that dead people and dogs were voting. No, I mean that's 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 true. We did we we uh we talked about it. We reported it on the show, um, and so yes, I mean it's. They're crying foul, but they're the ones committing the foul <laughs> sometimes. And so it, it's funny how that's that's working out. But again, they're going to follow. They're following their leader, Donald Trump. So I I don't know how many times we have to say it on the show. The, the election was not stolen, folks. Donald Trump lost fair and square. Just move on. Move on. <laughs> uh, but our next story here uh, was some breaking news that actually happened on Friday and so uh, immigrants and advocates are now urging uh, Democrats and President Joe Biden to quickly act on legislation to protect young immigrants after a federal judge in Texas on Friday 
ruled an Obama-era program that prevents the deportation of thousands of them brought into the U.S. as children. Um, and so what happened here is, um, like you say, a Texas judge ruled that the program is called DACA. Uh, it's called the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals Program. A Texas judge, U.S. District Judge Andrew Hainan, declared the program illegal and it's now barring the government from approving any new applications for the program, but it's leaving it intact for the existing recipients. So if you register for DACA beforehand, you're safe, but they will not permit any new applications. And so Hanan, uh, Judge Hanan ruled in favor of Texas and eight other conservative states that sued to halt DACA, which provides limited protections to about 650,000 people. Uh, the program is, has really been... Uh, the subject of a lot of conversation has been kind of up and down. It's faced a lot of court challenges since it was instituted in uh, June of 2012. You may remember the Trump administration actually announced it was going to end the program in 2017, but the, the Supreme Court ruled in 2020 that the administration had ended the program, hadn't ended the program properly, and they kept it alive once more. And so right now we're seeing supporters are calling for Congress to finally act and pass um, a bill known as the Dreamers, um, that well, they call the the, the participants in DACA Dreamers, but they're calling on Congress to pass the Dream Act to make DACA permanent. But again, the Senate it's going to be a huge jump. Um, and right now, just to give you an idea of this court case, suing alongside Texas, where Alabama, Arkansas, Kansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, Nebraska, South Carolina, and West Virginia. And these are all states that had Republican governors or state attorneys general. So um, some big news there. Again, the DACA program in limbo once again. Uh, but we'll see if Congress can actually act to make it permanent. It's I hope, Devin, that we can have something um, around this just because obviously if you were a child, um, and you were brought here with your parents. It's like you had a whole lot of say in what was what, what was going down. I feel like right. you know, uh, just 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 sending them back is, is just it's it's kind of an injustice, or it is an injustice actually. So I'll, I'll um, definitely will say that. Um, another story here. This is out of Oregon, listeners. Uh, a very inspirational story of a hiker who was stranded in the wilderness for 17 days. He's uh, sharing a survival story. Uh, this guy is 69 years old. I can't imagine Devin being 69 and being stranded in the wilderness and surviving for 17 days. Um, Cause I just imagine being that old and, you know, stuff like that, you know, you, you just, you, you need a comfortable bed and stuff like that. Your back hurts all that. But uh, this guy, listeners, Harry Burley, uh, he was reported missing on May 7th. Um, and like I said, he spent 17 days stranded. Uh, like I said, he was in Ohio or excuse me, in Oregon at a, during a, during a camping trip. Uh, his wife actually said that, you know, after he was missing for a little bit, she called and tried to figure out what was going on. Uh, her, uh, looks like Harry was reported missing on May 7th, did not return home after the camping trip. Um, and looks like, uh, he was supposed to have been home on May 6th, but his wife, like I said, called, um, to try to figure out what was going on after he didn't come back when he was supposed to. Um, rescuers use a helicopter to get him out of the area and take him to a hospital. And like I said, you know, 17 days in the wilderness, a uh, long time for a 69-year-old, Devin. That is pretty amazing. 69 years old, and he's lasted for 17 nights in the wilderness. That's insane. 
I don't know if I could last that long, you know, so coach props to him. Um, prayers for him that he made it out of there alive. That's, that's incredible. Um, so our, our next story here is not quite about survival, but Texas Democrats are trying their hardest to, uh, stall attempts by the Republican legislature in Texas to pass a, a voter restriction bill. We talked about it a little bit earlier, but right now it's it's like a stare down that's going on between the state Democratic legislatures in Texas and Governor Greg Abbott over voting rights. And so uh, more than 50 state House Democrats have made a bet that when they flew to Washington, Washington, D.C. earlier this week, they were hinging their hopes on Congress to pass federal voting rights legislation while stalling the state legislature back in Austin, Texas as part of a effort to halt a voting measure. And so uh, if Democrats win this standoff, the only way they can win it really is if the U.S. Senate changes its filibuster rules and clears the way for a voting rights bill. That ain't happening as long as Joe Manchin is in the Senate. So <laughs> that's probably not happening. Uh, he opposes changing the filibuster rule. Uh, and he actually met with some Texas Democrats and he still hasn't changed his mind. Um Republicans, on the other hand, in Texas are kind of waiting this out. Governor Abbott can continue to call special sessions uh, for perpetuity, basically. Um, and he can continue doing that to to wait out the Democrats until they get back in the state of Texas and the Republican legislature can begin operating and passing some of these uh, atrocious bills that they're trying to get passed. So interesting, you know, showdown going on in here in Texas and I guess, Agent, we'll see how it turns out, but it's not looking good, at least for the House Democrats that are currently in Washington. All right. Uh, another little thing here. Uh, Texas is crazy. Uh, it seems like always out of our state, Devin, things are going on. California's got their wildfires and heat waves happening right now. Uh, I've left that. I'm over here in Baltimore where it's just real humid and hot all the time. But um, California officials are raising concerns that the intense heat waves across the state may cause nearly all young endangered salmon in the Sacramento River to die. That's that's pretty epic there. The California Department of Fish and Wildlife told CNN that there could be a near complete loss of juvenile uh, salmon because of temperatures that have reached higher than 100 degrees for prolonged periods of time, which caused the river to overheat. Those conditions, according to the department, create an environment where the fish are not able to grow beyond their egg stage. So, Devin, that's um, that's some pretty concerning things there. I mean, not only do you have uh, the population of salmon that could be wiped out, but you also have wildfires, you know, lightning strikes. Um, started fires, you know, back, you know, July 2nd and quickly swelled into a large uh, size fire there with extreme temperatures. Um, so there's a lot going on, uh, Devin, over on the, the West Coast there. Um, heat waves, wildfires, killing salmon off. Um, climate change is real, Devin. Yeah, it's it's here and it's real, live and in color. Um, we, we are seeing it. I was reading or watching something, actually, Lake Mead, I think, in Nevada, is like at one of its lowest levels ever on record. So it is, we are, we're kind of feeling it all over the place and that's only going to get worse really. Um, but on to some, some economic news. If you haven't heard, you may have heard inflation. Uh, the boogeyman is out and it's, it's coming back. <laughs> inflation is rising. Um, just to give you an idea, uh, prices in June were 5.4% higher than a year ago. 
and they jumped almost a full percentage point just in the last month from May to June. And so inflation uh, is just the rise of things getting more expensive. And so, as you know, uh, a lot of businesses, uh, folks are back out. Things are opening back up. Folks are going on vacations. They're buying things. And it's just like industry and businesses have not been able to keep up with the demand. And that is driving prices back up. So right now, uh, one third of the rise in the consumer price index in June was due to a record jump in uh, used automobiles. The price of used uh, cars rose by 10% in just June alone. So that's insane. Um, And the reason for that is because there is a chip shortage for new cars. So folks are trying to find used cars. And that is just prices just going bonkers. The good news is, uh, at least in June, the price of new cars did actually start to go down for a little bit. So hopefully that continues and things will even back out. But uh, just just keep your eye on, you know, you may notice that things at the grocery store, rental cars, hotels, maybe a slightly more expensive than they were, say, a year ago. No, that's absolutely right. Um, that's an interesting story there. And most people kind of ignore those sorts of factors. But um, they have a huge uh, impact in our day to day, and we'll we'll keep you in the loop of what's going on with that, listeners. Um, our last little uh, topic here, around off our second segment, uh, comes out of ESPN's uh, first take. When on Monday, uh, Smith claimed that Los Angeles Angels star Otani, uh, who ha- who's happened to have a rise in the MLB, uh, would actually potentially harm the sport because he doesn't speak English. Uh, you know, it's so interesting when minor- when minorities try to you know keep other minorities down. Um, according to Smith, Otani's use of an interpreter is hurting baseball's marketability. Um, he's saying uh, Smith is saying, but the fact that you got a foreign player that doesn't speak English that needs an interpreter, believe it or not, I think it contributes to harming the game in some degree when that's your box office appeal. And of course, he goes on to give some different names of other people that it could be. Um, I don't know, Devin. It's an interesting thing here where he's basically just saying that uh, I guess America's favorite sport or America's pastime needs to be represented by someone who speaks English. Uh, of course, he took heavy criticism and he you know, released an apology on Twitter uh, talking about it. But uh, I don't know, Devin. I, I don't follow sports as much, but I do feel that you know, if we're going to be a melting pot here in America, um, anybody can represent and be the face of, of, of a major league sport. No, I mean, I, yes, you're absolutely right. There's no reason why um, show. I think his name is Shohei Otani can't be the face of baseball. But I also kind of sort of understand where Stephen A was going with it is that when you picture baseball in your head, you're thinking guys like the Mike, the Mike Trouts and the Bryce Harpers, typically white guys who are going to be the face of baseball, not an Asian person. Um, and, and so I guess, you know, I, I get where he was going with it, but he may be wrong in his assumptions that um, somebody who doesn't speak English being the face of the sport is going to necessarily hurt it. It's a different time now. The game is global. So that may not necessarily be true. Um, so I get it, but he does deserve the criticism that he's getting. Um, just not maybe not quite understanding uh, the dynamics of baseball and marketing and, and things like that. So rightly deserved criticism there for Stephen A. <laughs> but uh, that's going to do it for our last segment of news. 
We're going to take another quick break, and when we come back, we'll get into our quick hits. So stick with us. We'll be right back. Would you like to contribute to a scholarship fund? Would you like to help us partner with nonprofits? Would you like to submit a topic request or maybe even appear on our show? If so, go to patron.podbean.com forward slash black agenda pod. Thank you for your donation and belief in our mission. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back. So we always like to end the show with our quick hits, which is just some quicker news, some funny news that we like to give you before we get out of here. Um, so our very first quick hit, uh, if you're in the sports world or in the movie world, uh, there's a huge movie that just came out yesterday, and it's called Looney, uh, Space Jam, A New Legacy. So if you may remember, 25 years ago, if you were alive or around, um, obviously you were because you're listening, but um, Michael Jordan uh, made a movie with Looney Tunes squad and defeated a group of aliens on the court, and they called it Space Jam. Well, now we actually have a sequel to it featuring NBA star and LeBron, uh, Los Angeles Lakers player LeBron James. He joins the Looney Tunes squad again this time to compete against an AI computer played by John Cheadle's all-star goon squad. And so the Space Jam sequel is out right now. It's playing in the movie theaters, but you can also stream it online on HBO Max. And again, it's called Space Jam, A New Legacy. You can watch it in the movies. It's PG. Uh, came out yesterday, uh, July 16th, and it features LeBron James and Don Cheadle is the villain. So it uh, should, should be a good one. I got high expectations for this, Adrian. I haven't watched it yet, but I do plan to watch it. I do have HBO Max, so I'll be watching it at home uh, on my couch. And so hopefully it's not as bad. The The original was all right. It wasn't like a great movie. It was okay. <laughs> so hopefully this one at least is all right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I'm. It's hopeful. It's got LeBron in there, so at least it's got some some celebrity appeal there. Don Cheadle, um, and I mean, I don't know, Devin. I I'm gonna go see Black Widow tomorrow uh, in theaters. Um, so um, I, I was debating whether or not to see it on Disney Plus, but I think it's like thirty dollars versus a matinee oh, ticket's like ten dollars. And I'm like, I'm double vaccinated, so I can go sit in theaters now. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> Smart choice. You made the right choice. <laughs> exactly. But, hey, let's go back to California here. Uh, a naked lady, uh, listeners, uh, out of California who had to get rescued. Uh, so apparently, uh, Devin, there was a naked California woman that was rescued earlier this week uh, after she got wedged in between concrete walls of two buildings, authorities said. The woman was discovered around about 2 p.m. in Santa Ana. Workers were at a nearby body shop, and they were speaking to KTLA, and they told them that they heard this woman yelling for help, but they were unable to pin her location, and they called the police to help. The woman was stuck in a space, Devin, get this, it was less than a foot wide, so had to be either... Uh, a really, really petite lady to fit here, or maybe she was too big and at the wrong place at the wrong time. I'm not sure. Um, firefighters were unable to reach the woman. They had to perform a technical rescue where they actually cut open the concrete wall 
Um, rescuers worked for over two hours, but eventually got the woman out and got her some medical care. Uh, so Devin, that's a, that's an interesting story. I don't, uh, authorities don't really know how she got there, but she's out. So I guess, I guess she's got a story to tell. Yeah. I want to hear that. How did you end up between a concrete wall? (laughs) I need to hear that story. Uh, but our second one here. It's going to come out of uh, Dalton, Georgia, which is about 90 miles north of Atlanta. Uh, so this was on Monday night. So firefighters in Georgia responded to a home in Dalton, which is uh, north of Atlanta. And they responded on Monday night to remove a raccoon that had actually broken into someone's home, presumably in search of food and snacks, but actually broke in but couldn't get out. And so firefighters were called and they actually shared a photo of the wild animal after he was caught. And his um, unfortunate predicament, and the fu- this is a hilarious picture, um, the raccoon actually used its paw to cover its face in apparent humiliation. Um, and so the department said, quote, as you can tell, he was pretty embarrassed about it, but it's really nothing to be ashamed of. We all need a helping hand every now and then. And so firefighters said the adventurous raccoon was safely caught and released back into the wild. But if you can... Google raccoon Dalton, Georgia. The picture is hilarious. He actually does put his hand over his face <laughs> as he's like being escorted out or something on a perp walk. And he was like super embarrassed. <laughs> it's just a hilarious picture. Yeah, I saw it, Devin. And, and it does, it, it, it makes you, um, cause you think of raccoons as like just dangerous animals with rabies or whatever, and you get, you're supposed to run away from them. But whenever you see that picture, it definitely just, you know, almost humanizes them yeah. a little bit or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's another interesting story. I, I saw this, Devin, and it stood out to me because I, I'm living the unemployed life. And I know that there's a lot of other people who are living the unemployed life. And there's a lot of people who probably uses McCormick seasoning, but the spice company listeners, McCormick is going to be seeking a director for their taco, uh, uh, director for taco relations. They're going to be paying with this a hundred thousand dollars over four months to innovate new seasoning mixes and deep and dig deep into all things taco McCormick. So basically, like I said, the, the position is called the director of taco relations. Uh, they're going to keep taps on social media, taste tests and consult on recipes, travel across the country to search for the latest trends over a four month period. According to McCormick, they're going to get paid $25,000 each month over those four months. Uh, it requires availability to work up to 20 hours per week remotely from September to December. Industry applicants can uh, submit a creative video no longer than two minutes showcasing their personality and passion for tacos and why they're the best fit for the job. You got to get your application in by Tuesday, 1159 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, I don't know, Devin. I'm... I, I feel like I might try to apply for this because I, it's like, what, what, I mean, the worst thing that can happen is they tell me no, but I feel like if I, if I put on some personality, put on some charm and have some tacos next to me, um, <laughs> I could do something. Heck yeah. I would become obsessed with tacos for $25,000 a month and a hundred thousand total. And you get to work 20 hours a week. That's man. That's amazing. Director of Taco Relations or something like that. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Um, but our next story is not that impressive. There's no money involved in it, but it is a crazy story. 
um, out of Michigan. So uh, David Olson, he's 33 and he's learning firsthand that he's uh, now that he's discovered the home he purchased in Muskegon, Michigan, two years ago is actually built on top of old bowling balls. And so Olson told Fox News that he began to discover weathered bowling balls buried under his home and his yard at the start of July. And so apparently what happened is that he and his wife are the second owners of this home, right? And so he claimed they received a house inspection before they finalized the purchase. And the house inspection noted that the cement stairs were kind of leaning into the house and those stairs needed to be demolished. So Olsen went out. He made some time to remove one of the stairs, loose center blocks on July 1st. And he soon found out that old bowling balls were the reason that the center block steps were leaning into the house. He said he ended up removing 160 bowling balls in total. And he's documented the process. He's documented this process in a Facebook group called the bowling ball guy. So you can look it up, go on Facebook, type in the bowling ball guy, and you will see endless pictures of bowling balls that this man has found underneath his house. Uh, some of these bowling balls were completely intact. Some uh, others were damaged or in broken fragments. Um, he actually contacted the manufacturer of the bowling balls, which is uh, Brunswick bowling products. He did find out that some of the old pieces and equipment equipment likely came from a plant that the company had in the area back in the 1950s. And so, that's, I mean, that's a lot. 160 bowling balls. And in the story too, Adrian, he's actually still finding more. So he's not done. There's actually more still buried under this man's house. I don't know how this happened, um, but his foundation is probably ruined because there are bowling balls underneath it um, causing all kind of havoc. <laughs> yeah, that's that's something you probably um, no one ever thinks to investigate for, you know, whenever they come out to a site to look for bowling balls or anything like that. So uh, I hope David, you know, can either pay to get it taken care of or move. Um, so my uh, last quick hit uh, for your listeners is I, I feel some sort of way about it, honestly, Devin, um, but it's about macaroni and cheese flavored ice cream. Um, so it's a it's <laughs> it's a <Nope>. Brooklyn based. Uh, <laughs> exactly. It just sounds terrible. So, you know, this is from the Brooklyn based company um, Van Lewingwing uh, ice cream. Um, they're churning their ice cream with Kraft macaroni and cheese to make a combination here that's going to be macaroni and cheese flavored ice cream. Uh, what Kraft officials are saying is we know that there is nothing more refreshing on a hot summer day than ice cream. So in their mind, um, they're going to be combining two of the most iconic comfort foods to create an ice cream with the unforgettable flavor of Kraft macaroni and cheese that we all grew up with. Um, I did grow up eating Kraft macaroni and cheese. I don't eat it now. So it's, I don't know if I would enjoy the ice cream because of that or if it just seems like a weird combination, ice cream, mac and cheese. I don't ever think that I want to pair those on a hot summer day or anything like that. Um, but the macaroni and cheese company, uh, Kraft, they merged with Heinz six years ago and they're trying to roll this out, a limited edition ice cream earlier uh, this week. Uh, the coincide with National Mac and Cheese Day. Um, Devin, I, I feel some sort of way about it because I feel like they're, you know, catering to um, like black people or something. I, 
I feel like next thing you're going to see is like collard green flavored ice cream or something. Oh Chicken flavored ice cream. I, just doesn't feel right. <laughs> it, it doesn't feel right. I don't, I, don't, I don't like it, not for that reason, but I just feel like there are certain things we don't need. And this is just one of them. Like we don't need innovation in trying to make macaroni and ice cream flavor. Like there are other things we could be working on. That just sounds nasty. Hey, and it could be very good. We could be up here talking about it and it's actually really good, but that's a hard pass for me. Um, I don't know about y'all, but I will not be trying it anytime soon. But if you do happen to be in Brooklyn and you do try some macaroni and cheese flavored ice cream, that just sounds weird coming out your mouth. Like saying that just sounds strange. Like, nah, that's just, we don't need that kind of innovation. I mean, I've had some really interesting flavors with ice cream before that I wouldn't think where I've had like, you know, different types of cheese. Like, you know, I've I've even had an ice cream with like, uh, you know, uh, uh, Parmesan cheese in the ice cream. Um, And I didn't think it would be good, but it actually was pretty tasty. So, I mean, I'm all for some weird stuff in my ice cream, but I just don't think I need to have cheesy ice cream. Yeah. That just that just sounds weird. Weird text. I don't know. Anyway, uh, that's going to do it for our weekly roundup. We'll end on uh, macaroni and cheese ice cream again. If you if you try it, let us know. Tell us how it is. Absolutely, Devin. You know, I I could be wrong. It could be one of those things to where it does you know taste really good, but we'll see. But hey, viewers, we're going to give you one little quick break here. And when we come back, we're going to wrap things up with our ending. So stick with us. We'll be right back. You have been listening to the Black Agenda podcast hosted by Adrian Guest and Devin Dito. If you enjoy listening to the show, let the host know by leaving a review on Apple Podcast or by visiting patron.podbean.com forward slash Black Agenda pod and give a few dollars. After all, the Black Agenda podcast is supported by listeners like you. Let's get back to the show. All right, welcome back. So as always, we like to end the show with giving you a look forward as to what is upcoming on the podcast. So first up is on Tuesday, July 20th, we'll be releasing another interview um, and we have another great guest. Uh, this time we'll be welcoming uh, Mr. Warren Wilson Jr. He is the author of Brown Money, uh, which is a children's book. And then he is also the creator of the Nabra app, which is a kind of a question game um, app. It looks really great. And then he's also the creator um, of Vondu Electronics. So Warren is doing some really great things. So we wanted to have him on the show to kind of tell us what he's working on. What's he trying to do? Um, within the community to try to help out. Um, and so, yeah, so look out for that on Tuesday, July 20th. And then if get, then after his interview, we'll be back with you next Saturday, July 24th for weekly roundup number six with some more news uh, for you. So again, July 20th, uh, we'll be speaking with Mr. Warren Wilson Jr. And then we'll be back with you July 24th for weekly roundup number six. Um and also, before we go out, uh, we also like to let you know you can donate to us. And Adrian, uh, again, we try to tell people we love for them to listen, share, and like, and all those things. But we do like some hard-earned cash, money, donations, whatever you want to call it. Um, and so you can let the people know where they can do that. 
Absolutely, Devin. Um, listeners, if you can't tell, I actually upgraded my mic today uh, for the for our episode, um, and it was like a hundred dollar mic. So you know that's that's you know that that just shows where your money could kind of go to. Um, not to mention, you know, I get those monthly statements of like forty dollars here and there for like Podbean or Alitu. Um, so your 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 dollars can actually make it easier for us to bring the show to you. But the other thing that I always like to mention is the fact that um, Devin and I aren't just trying to bring you an awesome podcast and a great experience with news and commentary and guests. We're also trying to build an organization, build awareness around that organization and transform communities. Um, By having great ideas in America, that's one thing, but it actually takes dollars and cents to get those great ideas out to people. So we need you to go to our website, blackagendapod.com. Click that donate tab, start off with a dollar, three dollars, five dollars, whatever you can give and let it escalate from there so we can actually make our society a little bit better from there. The other thing we like to do is make sure to highlight a charity of the month. And for the month of July, we've been talking about the organization Color of Change. Color of Change is the nation's largest online racial justice organization. They help people respond effectively to injustice in the world around us. As a national online force driven by 7 million members, they move decision makers and corporations and governments to create a more human and less hostile work for black people, uh, excuse me, hostile world for black people in America. So we always like to say, if you give to us, we can give to them. We can do things together and make our society a little bit better. So, yeah, Devin, plenty of reasons to give uh, lots of ways to do it. Like I said, go to our website, blackagendapod.com. That's going to be the easiest way to do it. Yes, please definitely go. Even if you don't donate, just go check out blackagendapod.com just to listen to the podcast um, and share that. And so, again, um, before we go, we'd like to let you know you can like, share, and follow us on social media. Our our handle is blackagendapod.com. So you can type that in on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you will find uh, the podcast. So make sure you follow us and share everything that you see. We are also on YouTube, so make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel. Just type in the Black Agenda Podcast, and you'll find our channel, which has a lot of great content. We referenced it earlier in the show. We have a 10-episode series with HBCUs from around the country. Also, some conversations about uh, critical race theory and black history, so some really, really great things that you can go back and listen to that's in our catalog. And so... Uh, again, we appreciate you listening and staying with us. This has been weekly roundup, weekly roundup number five. Um, and so for me and Adrian, we appreciate you listening and staying with us and we'll catch you next time.